Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail where you can in turn inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we are able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson, sharing His wisdom, sharing His wit, sharing His unique point of view is Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis. Thanks for having me, Dean. (laughs) You know, God works things out in amazing ways, and we're going to share a story today of one instance that happened way over in Flagstaff, Arizona. Of course, if you're listening to this, you may be in Flagstaff mm-hmm. or close to Flagstaff, and it might not be way over. But for us, it's, it's way, way over. over. There. <laughs> and in lessons, they're all around us. Um, we learn them in all sorts of ways and sometimes <clears throat> in ways we don't really like. Um, and I'm going to share a Dean's Thoughts story about one of those today. You know, Dean, I want to I want to share before we get started a little bit about this week's supporter of Run for God, which is State Farm uh, Brandon Combs Agency here in Dalton. Um, you know, when you make the right decision, it feels good. It's kind of like picking the perfect accent rug um, or choosing a good night's sleep over an all-night crime show binge, <laughs> which I've done before. You know, it feels really good to make the right insurance decision, too. That's why uh, Brandon Combs, State Farm agent right here in Dalton, Georgia, uh, you need him to help you select the right protection at the right price. Brandon will make you... Make sure you understand your coverage so that you'll know what to expect when the unexpected happens. With State Farm Agent Brandon Combs, it's easy to make the right choice. Just call him when you want to make the real deal like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. You know, he's my he's my agent, too. He's my agent. And uh, I can attest to the fact that he's there when you need him. Yeah. He has done some things for me and made some phone calls and done some things that uh, that made a big impact. Insurance is one of those things you hate to write that check every month. But, yeah. man, and I've needed them. You're yeah. glad they're there when, they're, when, when you need them. So, Amen. Uh, give Brandon a call. Check him out. Um, he'll be happy to talk to you. Yeah. So here's a Facebook post from this past week, and uh, I, I really like this one. It, it starts out with a verse of Scripture, Proverbs 1-7, that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Today's run was all about not being a fool and heeding wisdom and instruction. Major shout-outs to Dean Thompson and Rebecca McGeorge for sharing long-run wisdom with me that was easy to grasp and apply. Dean, in this week's podcast, spoke of the relationship between long-run pacing and easy-run pacing, stating that if my long run, you should be able to hold uh, at my easy-run pace. So today, I set out to do a continuous run, not my typical walk run, uh, holding holding my easy-run pace, which was 8.45 to 9 minutes. Uh, This was... I'm not sure what I've done here. This was a mental (laughs) hurdle for me, but it made sense, and I wanted to heed the wisdom I was receiving. And then, bang, even pacing at 8.50. Rebecca commented on a post in which I lamented uh, late-mile woes that I should consider in-run fueling since my run was stretching into the one- to two-hour range. Today, I brought along a bottle of Tailwind, 
reacquainted myself with my old fueling scheme, and bang, I had strong legs to finish the run. I am thankful for this group, not only for the wisdom, but for the godly fellowship and encouragement received every day and the prayer support so freely and graciously extended inside and outside of our running lives. Love you all. You are a great and gracious gift to me. I would be truly a fool not to learn from each of you. Keep shining your light and enjoying the journey, my friends. And that comes from Pat Park. This is the second one I think we've shared from Pat. Yeah. He just has He's some, always got some good some good posts. He does. He does. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, sometimes you just have to trust in what you're told. Mm-hmm. Heed some wisdom, and, uh, and it makes a big difference. Trust the training. Trust the training. I'm having to tell myself that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I heard you griping a little bit about uh, having to run. Uh, well, a little bit more you, than you, you know, it's and, <laughs> we've always talked about this that things get harder the older you get, and I'm just I seems like I keep getting smacked with that every week right now. It's I remember when I was when I started running in my 20s and even through my 30s, it was easy to take a little time off and then come right back. And yeah. this time around, of course, this is the first time I've taken that long off. You know, I took almost a year off from running. I walked a lot. And uh, I've, I think I've said on here that this is the first time that I've actually gone through our own training programs. Yeah. You know, the previous times I've gone through the 5K challenge with classes and things, but it, it wasn't out of necessity for my fitness. Yeah. Well, now it's out of necessity. And so I, I feel, believe me, if you're out there and, and you're, I'm seeing your post that this is hard and I don't know if I can do it, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Please know that yesterday yesterday was the two-mile run, just a two-mile easy run, and it was hard. <laughs> and for a guy that used to run ultras and, you know, all these crazy events, it's taken some getting used to, but I'm trusting the training. Yeah. I'm trusting what's on our plan, and it's working. You know, I have the days. I have the bad days, but like you always say, if you don't have the bad days, you don't have anything to compare the good ones to. So That's right. I'm right there with you guys. Wow. So our trivia question from last week was kind of an odd one. It was the 1904 Olympic marathon was held in St. Louis. It was the first in the United States, and the marathon was crazy for several reasons. Just tell me one of those reasons. And, and you've got a lot of them here. There's a bunch of them. I mean, it's just <laughs> it was a crazy, crazy race. I took this article out of Smithsonian Magazine, so I'm taking a lot of the references that I got from there. I saw there. I read a lot of other stuff, but the one from Smithsonian was was fun to read. So this marathon was held in St. Louis. Well, at the same time that they held the Olympics in St. Louis, they held it concurrently with the World's Fair. Now, why in the world anybody would do? Of course, the Olympics weren't quite as big back then as they are today, and the World's Fair was probably bigger then than it is today. And so the World's Fair kind of took over. Mm-hmm. Um, the world, the, uh, th- there were some great things that came out of the Olympics, but the the World's Fair was it's kind of a sideshow, you know, where they do events like grease pole climbing and right. ethnic <laughs> dancing and crazy weird stuff that people are glued to because it's it's freaky. I yeah. mean, we're we're you know, it's it's like driving by a wreck. We can't help but look at it. Right. <laughs> um, some of the good things that came out of the Olympics, there was a gymnast named George Iser who earned six medals, including three gold medals. And he had a wooden leg, a gymnast. That's just that's interesting to me. I like it. So, but the 1904 marathon was more part of the World's Fair, seemingly, than than the Olympics because it was like a sideshow. 
uh, it was it was a carnival act, um, and it was so bad, it was so scandalous, and it was so awful that they almost never had the Olympic marathon again. That's how bad this whole thing went. Um, and a few of the runners were, were seasoned runners. They had run the Boston Marathon or other runners. There were a, a bunch of folks from the United States who were seasoned runners. But the majority of the field was composed of middle-distance runners and just people who were just there thinking, yeah, I think I can do this. And so American Sam Miller, um, A.L. Newton, John Lorden, Michael Spring, and Thomas Hicks were all experienced marathoners so they were all among the favorites because they had done it before and there was another american named frank fred lors who we're going to talk about here um who was an, again american did all his training at night because he was a bricklayer and so can we imagine today a uh, olympic Olympian? i've said bri- i've always said bricklayers are the toughest people out there yeah they are yeah yeah no doubt uh kind of reminds me of yuki kawa 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 uchi <laughs> The, the guy from that won Boston a few years ago when the weather was so bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he, who had to call his boss at <laughs> Ask him if he could take an extra day to get his award. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that story. Love that story. Um, and Yuki, Yuki's a professional marathon now. Really? Yeah. So he – was he a teacher? Well, what was he? I don't even remember what he was. I, I think he was a teacher. I want to say you're right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Interesting. Among the leading mm. oddities were 10 Greeks who had never run a marathon before. Two men of the Sauna tribe of South Africa who were in St. Louis as part of the South African World's Fair exhibit. So they decided, well, you know While what? we're here, yeah. <laughs> let's, run a mar- let's run the Olympic marathon. Yeah, and they went to the, they went to the starting line barefoot. Uh, and then there was this Cuban guy named Felix Carbajal, who is a crazy interesting story. He came into New Orleans, apparently got involved in some gambling stuff, lost all of his money in dice games, um, and then just had to figure out how to make his way to St. Louis. <laughs> the guy was only five feet tall, um, and so everybody noticed him because he came to the starting line with this big, blousy, white button-up shirt, long, dark pants, and no running shoes, but just basic, you know, street shoes, um, and a uh, what do you call that that type of hat? Um, I can't remember the. Anyway, he had a hat on as well. And so, so one of the Olympians felt really sorry for him. He seemed like a nice guy. Apparently, he was real chatty, and they came over and cut cut the legs of his pants off <laughs> so that he could wear shorts. Uh, so on August the thirtieth, remember this is in St. Louis on August the thirtieth. It's a little hot. Nice and warm. Right. Yeah. At 3.03, David Francis, the president of the Louisiana Purchase Exposition Company, fired the starting pistol, and the men were off. This was held in conjunction. The World's Fair was all about the Louisiana Purchase and how it had added to the United States and all that. So this was all part. It was just kind of all melded together. The heat and humidity went into the 90s, um, and this 24.85-mile race was awful. Apparently, it was crazy hilly. Um, somebody said that it was the most difficult a human being was ever asked to run, uh, is the way they put it. And to make matters worse, the roads were so dusty that there were like inches of dust on the road. So as cars went across the road, because they didn't close the course down, hmm. there were cars, and they had to dodge cars, trolleys, trains, all sorts of things along the way. Um, there were cracked stone across the roadways that they had to dodge. Uh, it was it was crazy. Um, there were only two water stops on the entire course. 
and they were not your typical water stops. One of them was a water tower at six miles, and then there was a well next to the road at 12 miles. That was their water stops. And here, here was the craziest part about it. James Sullivan, who was the chief organizer of the Olympic Games, decided that he wanted to minimize their fluid intake so that we could test the effects of purposeful dehydration while it was 90 degrees outside. Um, apparently, that was a common area of research at the time. Didn't seem like the greatest idea under the circumstances. <laughs> um, so cars that were carrying coaches and doctors, they were kind of motoring alongside the runners. And all this dust was getting kicked up <laughs> because the road was so dusty. So Fred Lors, the guy, the bricklayer, he starts off in the lead to start with. But then by the first mile, Thomas Hicks, who was an experienced marathoner, kind of took over and, and edged ahead. Um, and then a guy named William Garcia of California almost became the first fatality of any Olympic marathon when, uh, when he collapsed on the side of the road and was hospitalized, and he was hemorrhaging because the dust had coated his esophagus and ripped his stomach lining, is the way they put it. So I don't know how it does that, but it sounds pretty serious. John Lorden suffered a bout of vomiting, so he gave up. Um, and then... Here's one we can all identify with. A guy named Len Tao, one of the South African participants, was chased off by dogs. In this case, <laughs> wild dogs. Um, so he went a mile off course. In the meantime, Felix Carvajal, the guy from Cuba, he just kind of trotted along in his cumbersome shoes and his billowing shirt. and um, He made time to stop and chat with people along the way. Seemed like a real friendly dude. Uh, on one occasion, he stopped a car, and he saw that uh, there, were, there were people in this car. They were eating uh, peaches, and he asked for one. Well, they told him they, he couldn't have one. Well, he snatched it out of their hand and <laughs> ran with it anyway uh, and just kind of laughed as he went. Um, a bit further along the course, he stopped at an apple orchard and, and snacked on some apples, um, which turned out to be rotten. <laughs> so Felix wound up laying down on the side of the road in the Olympic marathon to take a nap. <laughs> so now Sam Meller, another American, he was in the lead, um, and, and he started experiencing severe cramping, so he slowed to a walk, and he eventually stopped. At the nine-mile mark, cramps also plagued Lors, so Lors decided uh, to hitch a ride. So he got in a car, and he started driving along the course in this car, talking with spectators and runners as he passed by. And then Hicks, one of those early American favorites, the guy who led early, he was begging for somebody to give him something to drink, um, but he was refused anything to drink, so they sponged his mouth, mouth out with warm distilled water. That seems helpful. Seven miles from the finishers, the handlers fed him a concoction of strychnine and egg whites. <laughs> so this is the first recorded instance of drug use in, in modern <laughs> Olympics. Strychnine. Not what you think of when you hear doping. No. Strychnine. No. Apparently, strychnine in small doses was commonly used as kind of a stimulant back then, and so they thought that would help. Um, uh, and, of course, there were no rules against it at the time. So uh, he also, this guy also was carrying some French brandy with him while he was running. Uh, decided not to drink it at this point, though. So uh, he kept going. Uh, meanwhile, Lors, the guy that was riding in the car, recovers. And he gets out of the car and starts running. Uh, and so one of Hicks's handlers, 
they, they called him, uh, saw Laura's running and tried to, and ordered him off the course. Said, "You can't run. You were in a car just not long ago," and he just kept running. So he comes into the stadium, and the crowd is cheering, and he runs around the, the track, and he finishes, and he wins. And so Alice Roosevelt, the pre- the daughter's the daughter of the president, um. She is the one that she places a wreath on Lors's head and everything, and as, as she's about to put the medal around his neck, somebody speaks up and goes, whoa, 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 hold on a second, we have an imposter, imposter here. And the cheers all turn to booze. <laughs> and Lors just kind of smiled and goes, yeah, I was just joking. I didn't really do this. Uh, <laughs> I hitched a ride. And so now Hicks, um, is, is he gets word that they figured him, they figured him out. So he gets a little bit more um, energy going, um, <laughs> although he looks terrible from the strychnine. You uh, think? <laughs> he gets perked up, he get, and he gets into another trot. And he, so he's he, he, maybe he's going to win this thing. His trainers gave him another dose of strychnine and egg whites, and this time they washed it down with brandy. <laughs> they, they got some warm water and soaked his body and his head and after, after the bathing he appeared to revive and quickened his pace uh, and then he began hallucinating <laughs> believing that the finish line was still 20 miles away in the last mile he was begging for something to eat and then he begged to lie down and then he was given more brandy but he refused to drink tea he swallowed two more egg whites and boom he comes into the stadium He's still he's almost walking as he comes into the stadium. He's got reduced to a shuffle, and uh, his trainers actually carry him across the finish line, holding him up while his legs are moving as if he's running. And uh, it took four doctors and one hour for Hicks just to feel well enough to get up and leave the grounds. Uh, he had lost eight pounds during the course of the race, and he was declared the winner. <laughs> So, he said, never in my life have I run such a tough course. The terrific hills simply tear a man to pieces. <laughs> so does, I don't see the time here. Did it, did it tell his time? It, did, I, I, it wasn't in the article. And, I, you know, I wanted to go back and look at it, and I never did go back to look at it. But um, You know, it's funny how, I guess, things have changed through the years. Because I've seen, you know, we've all seen the, or I've seen the pictures of the Tour de France back during this era. And you know how between stages on the Tour de France now, they're getting massages and getting recovered and having the right meals and everything because they're doing this for 30 days straight. But back during this era, they were drinking and smoking cigarettes and partying every night between stages. And it's just... It's, it's like Babe Ruth drinking while he's standing on third base. Right. Yeah. yeah it's... Uh, yeah. Wow, how times have changed. <laughs> yeah, they have. Well, and then Hicks and Lores, they met again in the Boston Marathon the following year, and Lores actually won that one without anything extra. So uh, That we know of. That we know of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, just a crazy, crazy story. I love it. Uh, I had never heard this story before and just heard of it recently. So I, I thought I'd heard all the running stories, but I haven't. That one's good. It is. So. so people have got a lot of answers to choose from. Yes, they do. On that one. Yes, they do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're on this journey. We're in the 10K training. We're on the couch to marathon journey. Yeah. Everything it, going well? It's it's going well, yeah. yeah. Uh, memberships are continuing to grow. We're still awesome. getting people in, jumping in the 10K challenge. Just one thing about Disney. Um, 
you know, we, we have made the decision that we will not be doing a block of bibs just because we of the uncertainty of this year. Uh, ironically, we still have no word from Disney about the details of the race. We assume, we hope, we're planning that the Disney Marathon will happen, uh, but there is no word from Disney yet. You know, they just did announce that one of their 10Ks is a green light for 2022. Um, so we're hoping that they're going to be bringing word forth. You know, there's a lot of other websites out there that are speculating that it's going to happen, uh, but still no firm word from Disney yet. So everybody just be patient. Yeah. Keep charging ahead. Uh, if they don't have Disney live for whatever reason, we will we will have a backup and punt option of some sort. We don't know what that is yet, uh, but just be patient. I understand there's a, a a marathon, I think, in Maui at about the same time. Don't tell my wife that. Okay. I'm Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, just be patient. There is no word yet. There's a lot of speculation out there, but there is no official word from Disney yet. So just be patient. Yeah. Well, as always, we're proud to be sponsored by the world's greatest digital music platform, J Radio. As a mom, I want to make sure we choose a cereal that's not entirely derived from sugar. Their car seats have to be nationally CPS certified, and their first car has to have every possible safety feature known to man. I just want to do my best to make sure that they're safe. One thing I don't have to worry about is the content they hear on J-Radio. Not only do they love the music, but I know it's only going to be a positive message that I would approve of. Now, if I could just figure out how to get my youngest from sticking everything up his nose. Sign up at JRadio.com and download the new J-Radio app in your app store. All right, we are back, and during the break, we looked up the time for that winning marathon in 1904, and the winning time was 328.53. That's incredible. I mean, that is incredibly slow. Yeah. Even for back then. Yeah, even back then, there were people running under three hours. Yeah. So That's a... But you can see why when you hear the story behind it. Yeah, it was a fiasco. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Love it. All right, so you can send messages to dean at runforgod.com if you've got questions about training, if you've got questions about whatever. Um, I I received a bunch of emails this week Mm -hmm. from folks just asking questions, so ask away. Um, And again, as I always say, if you don't know about us, go check us out at runforgod.com or runforgodrunclub.com. And we want to hear your story. We're going to share somebody's story here. This is a great story this Mm -hmm. week. I love it. Uh, And we want to hear your story. So submit your story at runforgod.com or runforgodrunclub.com. And we have had a few people who have shared their story live, and it's been a lot of fun. And so if you live close enough or if you don't, even if you don't live close enough, but you can get here, yeah, we would love to do your story live. It's a live. lot of fun. It is. We've a had a lot of comments. You know, I'm, I'm a little self-conscious because our most popular episodes are when I'm not here. Hmm. That's hurtful. It is. But I'm I'm saying it's not me. It's just we have some incredible guests on here. That's absolutely true. And so, yeah, I'm going to brush it off as that. But, yeah, it's um, if you can get here, we would love to have you in studio and hear you tell your story. Amen. 
All right. Hey, my son and his wife are fostering a six-year-old little girl right now. So this next story is about adoption, and so it's it's near mm-hmm. and dear to my heart because we've talked a lot about whether or not they're going to adopt this little girl. Um, there's some things that say they should move in that direction and may move in that direction. I didn't know things. that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so they're. Uh, it's a. It's she's a she's a smart little girl, mm-hmm. and. Um, I just I, I just love her, but she's um, we're we're not sure where it's going to head to at this point. Hmm. But they've had her for almost a year now. Really? So yeah. Uh, you know, God can work things out in simple ways, but ways we might not even be thinking about. Sometimes it comes out of nowhere, and that's kind of the story here that's shared uh, from Flagstaff, Arizona. Again, Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, Shannon Clifford. Is, is her name, and the story is called Our Adoption Story. After suffering a miscarriage, I fell into a time of depression during which I started questioning my faith. Was God real, and did he really love me? Or did I believe simply because that was what I had been taught my whole life? Ultimately, I found the answers I was looking for and then started seeking a deeper relationship with God. He gave me two specific scriptures pointing to, pointing to me having a child within a year of having that baby, of losing that baby, excuse me. I kept waiting and waiting to get pregnant, but it didn't happen. When a year came and went, I, I figured that I had just heard God wrong, which I could live with because of the foundation I had built and the knowledge that I could trust God. Also, I had realized that my contentment did not lie in having a child, but rather in having a relationship with God. I still had a great desire for a child and had broached the subject of adoption with my husband, Jim. But our conversations always went like this. Me, what do you think about looking into adoption? Him, we're never going to do it. He did not believe that adoption was for us. So I prayed that if we were to have children, that God would either help me to get pregnant again or change Jim's mind about adoption. A couple of years later, I had a dream in which I was looking at the mountains where I live. On one side of the mountain was a rainbow, and on the other side was a sun dog. Both are caused by refraction of sunlight on a moisture in the atmosphere, but you would never see a rainbow and a sun dog at the same time. In my dream, I was looking at this and thinking, that is impossible. When I awoke, I realized that it was a dream given to me by God. A rainbow represents a promise, and I believed the promise that God had given me of having a child within a year was impossible because that year had long since passed. Not long after that, I received a phone call from my uncle. During our conversation, he said, oh, by the way, do you remember your cousin Yvonne? They're looking for a family member that would be willing to adopt her daughter, Amy, and I thought of you. Yvonne had died three years earlier, leaving her two young daughters to live with her sister. Although they were my cousins, I had never met them. At the time I received the call, Amy was 10 years old. I was told that an incident had happened at her aunt's house and that Amy could no longer live there. No close family members could take her in, so arrangements were made with family and friends who had three young daughters around Amy's age. She was with them for several months, and they were considering adopting her, 
and had started paperwork for legal guardianship, but they had realized that adding another child was not working out for the family and issued an ultimatum in order to get some action. Find another place for her or she would be turned over to Child Protective Services in a few days. That's when I got the phone call. I agreed to talk to my husband about it, but didn't have much hope because Jim had told me that we weren't going to adopt. I called him at work and asked him to meet me for lunch because I had some I had something important that I wanted to I needed to talk to him about. He sounded a little apprehensive when I said okay. When he said okay. We met for lunch and I explained the situation, but that we didn't have to give an immediate answer, that we could wait and tell them the next day. He had a deer in the headlight look. Poor guy. I told him that I would be praying about our decision throughout the day and he couldn't and he could do the same while he was working. Then I went home. When he went out to his truck to return to work, he heard God say to him in an audible voice, you will take this girl and raise her as your own. Talk about changing his mind about adopting. He didn't tell me about that right away, though. I guess he <laughs> needed to process it. That evening, while I was attending a class, Jim called. Amy's foster mom, how we referred to that family, um, to get more details. When I got home, we talked about it and made the decision to say yes. It was wonderful and terrifying at the same time. In my mind's eye, there was always a baby when I pictured becoming a mom, whether I, it was the one I gave birth to or the one we adopted. Amy was 10 years old. I was kind of freaking out until mom said, Shannon, when you turned 10, I didn't know how to be a mom to a 10-year-old either. You just take it one day at a time. For some reason, that really reassured me. Because we were in different states, we didn't want to just go pick her up and bring her home with us without making sure it was done legally. Her foster family loved her and agreed to let her remain there until we could make arrangements. We consulted with family practice attorney, and while we were in his office, he made a conference call to a colleague in California where Amy was to make sure that we did everything legally according to both state law, states' laws. His colleague just happened to be familiar with Amy's case because he had been one, the one working on the legal uh, guardianship, or guardianship paperwork for her foster family. Within two weeks, we were able to pick her up and bring her to Arizona Amy and I are not related closely enough closely enough process to be as easy as everyone was hoping, and it took over a year before the adoption was legal. There was a lot of paperwork. Included in the pile of paperwork from her, from her life was a copy of her mother's death certificate. When I saw the date, it struck me. It was within a year that I thought God had promised me a child. Even that impossible thing was not because God sees all of it from the beginning to the end. One rainy night, I was driving, and the clouds had broken, allowing the full moon to shine through. I saw something out of the corner of my eye that looked like a jet's contrail. The closer I got home, the more pronounced it became, and by the time I arrived, I was seeing it fully, a huge white rainbow. I had never heard of a lunar rainbow, but Google educated me to the fact that, yes, indeed, it's a real thing. 
I knew that it was a message from God telling me that sometimes his promises don't look exactly like we are expecting them to. His blessings of motherhood certainly didn't look anything like what I was expecting, but it was definitely from him, and I will be forever grateful. Hmm. That's an incredible story. Yeah. You know, adoption is a, it's a noble thing. Um, I can't imagine that the, the gratitude that a kid feels from being adopted. You know, we've got a girl on our college cross-country team who's from India, mm-hmm. and she grew up in, in severe poverty. When she, well, she was born into severe poverty. I can't remember the age that she was when she was adopted by a family here in America. Um, but the family that's here in America is, is pretty well off. Mm-hmm. So she went from one extreme to another extreme. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's funny to watch her because she's got some of those characteristics of a kid who's kind of spoiled, you know. <laughs> a lot of times they can't help it, you right. know, because they, they're, they have certain ways about them and things that they do and say. Sure. But she also at the same time has all those qualities of understanding where she came from. Right. And is, she'll go way out of her way to help somebody who, who needs something because of how she grew up. And she, she, the boy, she loves her parents. Yeah, we've got a we've got a family in our neighborhood that's actually on their fourth adoption now. Yeah. It's um it is. It's a noble thing. It's it, you know, obviously it's something that we've never been called to. Um but man, I, I admire those families that step out and do that and um it just it it's a special person. It's a ste- special couple to do that. It, it absolutely um, takes so that. So many times, you know, in this case it was a 10-year-old and and some of these kids in my neighborhood are, are older, and those are tough yeah. because you they they have been marked by background, and mm-hmm. you know when it's a child, when it's a baby, it's a different thing. Uh, even though it's still challenging, I'm sure. But the ones that are a little bit older, um, that's got to be a challenge. Yeah. Well, in my my son's case, um, right, she, they, she was five years old when they took her in, uh, and she had been in six different homes in the past yeah. five years, and. That makes it tough, sure, uh, because she's just waiting to be rejected, yeah, and, uh, and that's that's really hard to hard to see. Yeah, and you know this story, you can't help but think of Mary, when the yeah. angel of the Lord came to her and said, "You're you're going to be with yeah. child, even though you're a virgin." Yeah, or Sarah. Yeah, you know, you look back in the Bible, you know, God told her you're going to have a child, and she was ninety. She laughed. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kind of makes you wonder why, you know. That's interesting. It, it's, yeah. it, this story is very interesting that God very clearly spoke to this lady and her husband. And her husband, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really it's a really awesome story. And it's I, I like the fact that she gets this word from God and she feels convicted that she sure. got this word from God, and then at a point she gives up on it. And right. she thinks, maybe I didn't really hear that. Mm-hmm. And how often have we all done that, right? We've yeah. all felt, you know, God has a certain way for us to go or a certain thing for us to do. And and then it seems like, well, maybe he didn't really say that. Mm-hmm. And only to find out later that things went in, things came to be exactly like he promised you that he would. Right. Scripture passage, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven through 14. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from the, all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. You know, this is the second week we've dealt with this verse and yeah. talked about Jeremiah. You know, last week we were talking about how we need we need more Jeremiah's and this was a this was a prophetic letter from Jeremiah Jeremiah to the people of Israel. In fact the whole book of Jeremiah's prophecy. Yeah. Um, it, Jeremiah was a prophet. Um, and this letter was written to the Israelites while they were being held captive in Babylon for seventy years. Which, you know, is the number of completion, ironically yeah. enough. Um, seven times 70. We, we hear the number 70 a lot in the Bible. But my initial thing when I, when I hear Jeremiah saying this, do you ever think Jeremiah was thinking, I told you, I've been telling you for 70 years. Yeah. I've been, but he didn't. And, and that's just the nature of God. You know, I, the nature of God coming through Jeremiah that we mess up all the time. Mm-hmm. We, we don't listen. We don't listen. We don't listen. We, we get. We pay for our mistakes. We pay for our mistakes, and God is standing there, not with "I told you," but "I love you." Yeah. I want what's best for you. Yeah. And uh, you know that's that's how we're to live as parents. Yeah. You know, but too many times as parents, we're like, "Son, I told you." Yeah. Um, but God's not that way. He's standing there in love every right. time we mess up. Every time we make a boneheaded decision, every time we just don't listen and thumb our nose at him, that's just the character of God, and it's awesome. And, and he's there whenever we whenever we turn around. Right. We don't have to go him. back to find him. Yeah. We just have to turn around, and, and there he is. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the part about this story is she talks about how she was not in a good place. And mm-hmm. It wasn't until she got in a good place with her relationship that these things started to play out and to fall in place. Sure. Uh, and that's kind of the way it is. It's kind of the way it was with the, the Israelites back then in Jeremiah's time. So the way it is for all of us today. Right. Scripture passage 2, Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You know, we always say you got to back up and you, you got to bookend you got to read the verses on either side, and you got to back up to verse 1 to get the context here, and it's don't be envious of evildoers is what the psalmist was, was talking about here. Um, in fact, the, the title for chapter 37, at least in my study Bible, is the heritage of the righteous and the calamity of the wicked. You know, I, I want a heritage of integrity, um, but that comes with hardship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so easy to to look at people and say, you know, we've talked about this on here. Why why don't bad things happen to bad people? It seems like bad things always happen to good people. But if you put it in context of eternity, um, a heritage of integrity comes with hardship. Yeah. We we have we've. I feel like we repeat ourselves on here a lot, but it's yeah. worth repeating. Yeah. Um, your, your heritage, you know, we actually talked about this last night in our small group. I talk about our small group of high school boys uh, often, and we, we talked about what is going to be said at your funeral. That's really what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're either going to live a life of integrity or you're going to live a life of hypocrisy. And, and, and Matt said in the message last night, he said, integrity is not something you have degrees of. Yeah. You either have it or you don't. And that, that's a representation of is God leading you? Are you, are you, are you walking close with God or are you not? And um, I like that thought that there aren't degrees of integrity. There's, yeah, because that's as sinful people. That's what we like to do. Well, right. well, I, I'm more. I have more integrity than whoever. Yeah. My my sin is not as bad as their sin. No, sin is sin in God's eyes. Yeah. And integrity, either you have it or you have hypocrisy. Yeah. Hypocrisy. And uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, that's yep. a good good thought. Um, you know, in this verse, verse, it's talking about delighting in the Lord, and I think that's one of the things that we we love the part that says He's going to do He's going to do all these things right. right for us. But the part of delighting yourself in the Lord, think about that phrase, delighting yourself in the Lord. I mean, it really means embracing and and desiring and those times when we when we get up in the morning and, and we want to do some Bible study and it's hard because we're forcing ourselves to do it, those times should really be few and far between because it should be something we desire to do. Yeah. If we're delighting in the Lord, we can't wait to get with him that mo- in the mornings or, or whenever you choose to do it. Um, and so I think that's a, that's an important part of this is that, yeah, God's going God's gonna to help you out. Mm-hmm. But he's going to help you out when, when your heart's right. In his time. Yeah, time. I mean, like I said, you go you go back to um, the the title of of thirty seven in, in my Bible is the heritage of the righteous and the calamity of the wicked. The heritage indicates in the end, you know, in in the end, um, yeah, the righteous it turns out good, yeah, in the end, yeah. But what happens during the middle, you know? You look at people, you look at some successful people who are living horrible lives and they're so successful. In the end, they fall in calamity. Yeah. But here on earth many times, that's just not the case. And, yeah, you're right. We we love the parts of the Bible that talk about the good things, but so many times the good things we'll never see here on earth. Yeah. Um, it's it's in the end. It's yeah. It's the heritage. Yeah, I like that. Mark ten twenty seven says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Uh, we, we see all these miracles in the Bible, um, and we know when God says all things, he ain't kidding. Because right. there are so many things in the Bible that are just crazy stories. Jonah I mean, that to me, that's the most incredible one. A lot of people talk about the, you know, the earth flood, raining and the earth flooding, and Noah's Ark. That story, I don't know. Jonah and the fish. That just seems more outlandish than anything. Right. But it happened because we and we know it happened. Um, so. But in our own lives, we often forget those Jonah moments. I mean, we've yeah. all had those Jonah moments, yeah. but we chalk them up to so many other things. But, you know, if you really look back, if you're a child of God, and you really look back and there's been times in your life, I know there's been times in my life where I thought, I can't get through this. This yeah. is impossible. 
and God brings us through it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those Jonah times where you're, you're saying, wow, you know, God just brought me through that immensely deep valley, and now I'm on the mountaintop. But the next valley we go into, we, it's, we have such short-term memories yeah, we do. that we just can't think back to those mountaintops that he's brought us to that we said we'll never get there. Yeah. And we all have them. Yeah. Well, and the Israelites went through it over and over again, right? They and had they never got it. They, and and we read those stories now and we're like, how did they not get that? Yeah. And in the meantime, we're saying God can never get me through this. It's so we're so I don't know what you what that conditioning human? 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 Yeah. A D D we forget. I don't I don't I don't know. But yeah. you know, i I say it all the time. How how did the Israelites see a fireball at night and a cloud that was leading them by day that had food raining down from heaven? The Red Sea parted, and they complained. Yeah. But we do the same yeah. exact thing, and that's why God talks about it over and over and over. And why we rehash it on here over and over and over is because we need it repeated to us over and over. <laughs> because we still don't get it. Exactly. <laughs> Question one, what would you do if the foundations of your faith were shaken and you found yourself feeling like God didn't really love you, if, if he even existed? I, I always go back to apologetics, and I'm, I'm a logical person. I, I, I like to form arguments based on logic. And so to me, my thing is, and other people are different, I think. I think we're all different in this. To me, I go back to, okay, what are the scientific evidences mm-hmm. for God being there? And that's what gets me back to that point of, okay, it, it, it's all good. I, I, know, I know who God is. I know mm-hmm. what he is um, because he's found in the evidence. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I, I go a little bit different route. You know, we have scripture. We have testimony. We, we've got so many things that say God is who he says he is. But probably for me, the most profound thing that kind of brings me back when I start going down that road is is what we just talked about. It's experience. Yeah. Um, I, can, I can look back and I can see where God is. No question worked in my life. Yeah. And then I just need to keep those. You know, you know, you got to wonder when the children of Israel got to the Red Sea and they turn around and they look and they see the Egyptians or bearing down on them and they look at Moses and they're like what are we going to do you got to think there was one guy in the crowd that raised his hand and said hey we we were following a cloud to get here yeah every night there was a ball of fire in the sky that brought us here you think there was one guy that had a little bit of faith and said it's going to be okay. Okay, and even even Moses himself started praying, and, and God God said, "Stop praying, just stop." You know, I've already told you what to do. March forward and use the tools I gave you. Right, and so I hope that during these times when you know, because we all fall into these these times in our life where you start questioning, and you know, we've said on this podcast before, there's nothing wrong with questioning God. Yeah. Because if we're if we're truly questioning God and we're talking to God about it, that's always going to bring us closer to God. Yeah. But it's when we start questioning and we start look we start turning away from God and we start looking out to the world 
that's where bad things happen. Yep. But if we look to God and say why, many times we'll get our answer. That's absolutely a fact. Question number two. When you're not in agreement with someone close to you, do you try to change their mind or do you rely on God to do it for you? What mm-hmm. a great question mm-hmm. this is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, and for me, <laughs> I just mentioned it a minute ago, I love to debate. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, my way is coerce. Mm-hmm. And that's not the right way. I mean. Well, I think it depends. I, yeah, well. Yes and no. It's sort of like witnessing. I think that when you know when you witness to somebody, it's it's not your job to make them believe. It's your job to present a case and let the Holy Spirit do it. Same. Right, but I think debate many times that's what it is. It's yeah. it's stating your your case. You're very good at that. But I also think there's times, especially when it comes to salvation issues. I think there's times to do exactly what you're great at. You yeah. you are great at debating and and making your case. And now you you got a line to stop at, but there's also times I, I've got a a friend that you you know of that um, he's Jewish. I deal with this guy a lot. Yeah. And um, he he made the comment to somebody one time that. He he didn't need me to save him. You know, he's Jewish. He knows the Bible, mm-hmm. at least half of it. And he he's not one he he knows where I stand. He knows what I believe. He knows the Bible. So there's nothing that I'm gonna say that's appropriate in the debate category. So I choose I never talk about it. Yeah. But I live my life in a way around him that points to Christ. Yeah. And because that's all God needs. God God needs us to be obedient. And obedience in this case is at least in my mind, my, my conviction is what words aren't gonna do here. It's it's the um preach the gospel and if necessary use words you know yeah. we've heard that quote by mm-hmm. it's attributed to Francis of Assis my conviction with this gentleman is preach the gospel without using words yeah uh, because he knows yeah. it's very clear but with some people they don't know yeah and so we do have to make the case and so I think that's where man going in for um, a conversation about salvation you've got to be prayed up yeah because we I shouldn't say we can mess that up. We can't mess that up. But we can we can get in the way. We can we, we can, can we can become a stumbling block in those conversations if we're not really prayed up. It's not something you just go off the cuff with. But at the same time, we're we're way too reluctant, sure. I think, often to share. Now, it as you mentioned, it has to be done in the right way, and we often want to really be forceful when it's a time to be, you know, just, hey, have you ever thought about this? Mm-hmm. Rather than, hey, you're thinking wrong. <laughs> you know, that's... Yeah. yeah. And, and, and too many times we go in, we, we don't do what we know we're being convicted to do. Because so yeah. many times, mm-hmm. and I've been there, I've, it's happened to me more times than I care to admit that I'm being led to say this thing or do this thing or reach out in this way and 
you got that turning in the pit of your stomach. You feel your your inside temperature going up. You just you start getting cotton mouth, and you're like, God is kicking me to do this. And we use things like, Well, I don't want to get involved, or that's yeah. not my place. When God is clearly telling us to take that step, and the times that I have made that step, it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah, but. That's not. It's a spiritual battle between a holy God and our flesh at that moment, yeah. and you can feel those times. Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious what's going on, but too many times we cower down. Yeah, and that is where God doesn't want us. Yeah. But on the other hand, too many times we're we're caught up in our own arrogance, maybe. Yeah. That we know what you need, and we're going to tell you. And you don't have those feelings at all inside you, and that's also a dangerous place to be. It is. Have you ever – I've always wondered what God thinks of this situation because I'm sure you've been through this situation. I know I have where God clearly tells you to do or to say something to somebody, and then you don't do it. Mm -hmm. And then you walk away, and he just – whacks you over the head with a two-by-four like why didn't you do what I was asking you to do so you turn around and you go back to that person and I've always wondered because the conversation always turns out well like you mentioned but you go back to that person and you wonder if God giggles as you turn around you know just like yeah it's (laughs) yeah I just he'll get it one day yeah yeah one of these days he'll do it on the first try yeah (laughs) question number three have you ever gotten what you asked for, but it was different than what you imagined? And did that feel like a blessing or something else? I, I really thought about this question, and I know I have, but I, I, I'm drawing a blank here. Yeah. I don't know why. I usually don't draw blanks on these questions, but I've been thinking about this one for a couple hours. Well, I, I remember being, I, I've mentioned before about working for Shaw for 25 years right. and um, and then being gone. And I remember praying for a job. And I remember while I was still at Shaw, I really wanted, I wanted to do something different. And I remember praying for and wanting, I remember there was one particular job. In, there was a job at a place in Dalton that I felt like I was really suited for. It was a really good good opportunity, and I really wanted that, and and it it didn't happen. Uh-huh. And and I look back on that now, and I go, well, I know why it didn't happen. Yeah. God had other plans. Yeah. But uh, but in the time, in the moment, you look at those and you go, God, why? Why would you do that to me? Mm-hmm. It's like he's and he's he's flicking you on the head, doing. I'm doing better. Will you just shut up? Yeah, I guess <laughs> you know, when I was thinking about this this morning, and I, I wanted this is not the example that I wanted to use, but I, when you say it like that, you know, I I had this stack of prayer rocks on my desk. Mm-hmm. You've seen them, mm-hmm. and it's where when I when I commit, I mean, we we I should have I should have a desk full of these, but I don't. But there's things that I commit to pray for people that I commit to pray for and and I'll write their name and I'll write the situation and I'll put the date on it and and I'll put those on my desk and pray for them and I've had the opportunity to share those with people you know I, I'm thinking of a couple for instance that 
they were headed for divorce and I, I really started praying for them and as well as many other people were praying for them and and then their marriage was restored and and i had the opportunity mm. to give them that wow. and man it was just it was awesome to be able to do that but there's there's some where i haven't had that opportunity yet mm. and some that i will never have that opportunity because that prayer wasn't answered for whatever reason and it's it's that's fine you know all of our prayers aren't answered and um but i was looking at one this morning that that was i, I if they if they're answered in some way or, or it's, there's there's no need to pray for that anymore, I put them in, in a glass jar. And the one that was facing toward me was um, I was praying for my dad after, you know, some of you have heard the story of my dad. He got saved really kind of radically. It, and it, it was the beginning of his cancer journey when he got saved. And I was praying for dad to get active in church. And, you know, once dad had his cancer surgery, he had a colostomy and he was just very self-conscious about going out in public because, you know, colostomy, there's, I get it. Yeah. But I was still praying. I wanted him to get active in church. And I was looking at that this morning and I thought, I was praying for him to get active in church, but now he's with Jesus. Yeah. He's active now. Yeah. And in, in my infinite, my, my finite mind. I'm thinking, well, that prayer really didn't get answered. But now, the way you're talking, it's like, yeah. Yeah. He's pretty active now. He's yeah. with Jesus. That's right. We go to church to worship Jesus and encounter Jesus, but he's in church all day long, every day right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's an example, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that I like it that. Was, it was different than what I was praying for. Yeah. Yeah, I think that happens all the time. Yeah. While you're working hard to keep your body in shape physically, the music you listen to while you run can help keep you in shape spiritually. We've partnered with J Radio to put together a group of running playlists by Dean, Lane, Holly, myself, and others that you hear here on the Run For God podcast. Plus, you can listen to a playlist put together by members of Run Club just like you. Check out the whole station of Run For God playlist at jradio.com and in the J Radio app. All right, we're back. And what? So, you coached a number of years, and uh, what do you think is the craziest story well, from your coaching day? I'm seeing your note right below this, and that's actually a note that I had at the end, and I didn't see this note. But yeah, I mean, that was the one that I had written down. We had a, a young lady, Sarah J. Yeah. Um, came to. It kind of goes along with your story. It she does. <laughs> she showed up. Her, her and her sister and her brother were all on the triathlon team, and Sarah's a very talented athlete. Uh, actually won a national championship when she was 10 in the sport of triathlon. Yeah. And she showed up one day in a pair of blue jeans, and I said, do you not run today? And she said, nope, you know, like teenagers, you know, they just kind of have that attitude. Of, yeah. I don't care what you say. I'm not running today, but I'm here in my blue jeans. And I, I said, well, you're running. Today's time mile day. You know, time mile back then was, we did it every few weeks. We were doing yeah. a time mile because that was kind of the benchmark. And, and it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. Time mile day. Yeah. And um, I said, you're running. She said, I got blue jeans on. I said, I don't care. You're running the time mile. <laughs> and 
And, you know, we did it so frequently that to PR was a pretty big deal because yeah. it's not like you had a year of training to PR. And, and so PRs weren't as common as you would think yeah. um, because we were doing them so frequently. And I'll never forget she was so mad at me. I mean, just so mad at me. I don't even remember how old she was, 12 or 13 probably. And she got on that track, and she PR'd in blue jeans. Yep. <laughs> and I use that story all the time now that— I remember. Because of our excuses, you know, just like your story's going to talk about. We, we all have these excuses of why I can't run, why I can't whatever. Well, this girl showed up and said, I can't run because I have blue jeans on. But, and it was it was not a, a little PR. It was a pretty big PR, if yeah, I remember right. I remember it. Yeah, um, it was a big deal. So, yeah, that's one of the crazy stories. Yeah. From and it may have led to – that may, in part, in the back – no, having that story in the back of my mind may have led to this story and what we're about to talk about. Yeah, I love this story. It's time for Dean's Thoughts. That's a time when I share something that I've written about the intersection between running and faith. And, you know, we've all been resistant to doing something we didn't really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we often have things to learn that we don't know that we need to learn, but and they come through these things we don't want to do often. So uh, sometimes there's things we're, we're convinced we don't want to learn, but we learn anyway. And so this one is called The Lessons We Don't Want to Learn. Cross-country and track are sporting events that usually go on despite the weather unless there is persistent lightning in the area. And that was the case recently when our Dalton State Roadrunners were in Gulf Shores, Alabama. The meet had to be canceled after the first event was run, and it was a bummer. So what do you do when the thing that you've been planning for suddenly is not there? We've had our share of that kind of thing over the past year with the pandemic causing havoc all in all of our daily activities. We ha- we've had some runners who were, were not going to get to run in this case. It was, uh, it was a six-and-a-half-hour ride with an overnight stay, and now it was ruined, right? Or was it? When faced with a situation like that, most people just pack up and go home. So that's what we did. But we also decided to stop along the way to make lemon lemonade out of lemons. I think you decided to stop. That could be. <laughs> After driving over three hours and escaping the ugly weather, we found a track at a college in LaGrange, Georgia. It was our third try. The first school we came to didn't have a track. The second was closed off from the public. But where there's a will, there's a way. Or at least where there's a coach's will. <laughs> the third school was perfect. We had six ladies who needed to get a race in that day. After all, we had cut back on our volume of training a little to be ready for this day. We had scheduled the meet uh, to help get us fitter for the end of the season meets. In order to make the plan work for the best possible outcome, we really needed to run a race. But here's the thing. The only person who was excited about getting off a bus and running hard was the coach. It felt a little like twisting arms. They're a great bunch, so they're going to do what I asked them to do. But they didn't have to like it. In the end, five of the six ran PRs. After the cool-down run and while they were stretching, I asked this question, are you glad you just did that? Of course, they were happy that they had done it. 
We've talked about how we just need to get out the door and go for a run. Once it's done, we're never upset that we did it. Most of the time, it feels really good to have completed something hard. Very often, we find that the run is far better than we thought it was going to be. In this case, these ladies had a coach pushing them to do something they didn't want to do, but they did it, and they were happy they did. Isn't that the way a lot of things we do? Isn't that the way with a lot of things we do? Running is an obvious one, but that's the tip of the iceberg. It can be difficult to find time to study the Bible, but we have to do it. We get so busy we fail to find time to pray, but we have to do it. There are times when we love walking out the door to go for a run. Those days are great. Some of them result in spectacular experiences, but we don't get to those great days without being in great shape. And we don't get into great shape without having those days we don't want to run, but we do it anyway. Likewise, I've heard some pretty special moments during Bible stu- I've had some pretty special moments during Bible study, but I also had many days of forced reading. I've had those days when I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. Just like running. I have always been glad that I did it afterwards. Without those days, I would never have days where I get up at 4 a.m. to make sure I have time for Bible study to find that God seems to be sitting on the couch right next to me. In short, there are lessons we don't want to learn, but they often form the basis of our fitness and our knowledge of the Bible or even God himself. We can't stay on the bus and sleep when there's a race to run. It might feel good in the moment, but you may miss a big payoff, and it's just not worth it. Good story, Dean. Yeah. Yeah, the point of this one is a good one, but <laughs> of course there was more to this story than what I wrote into it. Um, they they really didn't want to. They, here's what happened. So the one of the girls comes to me, and while we're on the bus ride, after we've been riding for a couple hours and says, you know, everybody's really down. They don't really want to get off this bus and go – go run this thing and she said how about if we do it tomorrow could we do that and i'm like yeah we'll do that i'll meet everybody at the track and we'll do it sunday afternoon well i said go back and talk to everybody she went back to talk to everybody well after a few minutes she still wasn't back and i thought "Uh oh (laughs) so i got up i walked to the back of the bus and turns out a couple of them had something else planned for sunday and they couldn't be there And so I said, you're sure you can't be there? And she said, yes. And I said, well, then we're getting off the bus to run. Today it is. (laughs) So so we get off the bus. They get off the bus, and they're like, nobody's saying a word. Because it's like, I can't believe we're doing this. But we're doing this. (laughs) We walk down to the track, and they're just all kind of standing around there on the track. And I'm like, well, you're going to need to get warmed up in order to do this. And so they start to jog. Well, they get their warm-up in, which is a little quicker than they would normally warm up, and they come to the line. And they're all but one of them are wearing training shoes. And I looked at them and I said, what are you doing? And realize now, I don't talk to these ladies this way very often, right? I said, what are you doing? I told you this was a race. Why do you not have your spikes on? And they all looked at me and I said, go to the bus, put your spikes on, and quit feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> they kind of hung their head. They walked back to the bus. They all put their spikes on. I said, well, let's get in a couple of strides now. Come on. 
And they all did, and they just seemed reluctant, right? Like, I don't really want to do this. So finally, they get on the line, and I said, listen, 10 years from now, you're going to talk about this day. You're going to talk about that time that crazy coach made you get off the bus and run a time trial on, on a bus ride home. The way that you finish that story from there depends on what you do in the next five minutes. So let's make a special memory, one where you can go, and then I ran a PR rather than, and then I blew it. Okay? You got your choice right here, right now. Hmm. And boom, they took off. And they went after it hard from the beginning. They all went out too hard for the first time. And they were all mad. (laughs) And five of the six of them ran PRs. And, um, I mean, they were all surprised. They're all Today, I talked to them yesterday, a couple of them, and they're like, yeah, I still can't believe I ran a PR. <laughs> yeah, I talked to one of them last night. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's, we need more of that. We, we, we need more of that with our young people. Yeah. Um, encouraging them or making them, I'll use the word making them, do the hard things, do the things that they don't want to do because their life is going to be full of those moments. And our tendency nowadays is to – just whatever's easier. Yeah. Because it's easy on us. Yeah. You know, that that's not that was not a fun conversation for you. No. You would rather have them just got off the bus and been or or you could have just packed it up and said, Yeah, let's go on home. Great coaches, great parents do the things that are hard and, and they don't like to do. I don't like to discipline my kids. I don't. You know, I never understood that when I was young when when my dad would come in and say, this is going to be harder on me than it is you. I never understood that until I was a parent. And it, it is. It's hard. You don't when, – when they're struggling and in trouble, it's almost like we are too because yeah. we take that on us. But oh, yeah. the discipline, the, the making them do the things they don't want to do because you know it's good for them is what we should do. And, yeah, yeah we need more of that. Kudos to you. Well, you think about, again, 10 years down the road, as I said – uh, when they are faced with that next hard thing that they don't really want to do, you know, you hope they kind of look back on this and go, I remember not wanting to do that, but I did it and it turned out great. And you, you get enough of those moments built up, and it's like what we were talking about a little while ago and seeing God work. Mm-hmm. You, you see enough of that positive thing come from forcing yourself to do something, and you, you eventually get to the point where you're like, well, I know I need to do it. Yeah. So that's what you hope. Yeah. If you've ever participated in any sport, you've probably met a great coach. Great coaches inspire us to do more than we ever thought possible. You can be the leader that helps others achieve things they never thought possible. You. Yes, you have the ability and the opportunity to be that person. All you need is a heart to help people and the ability to follow a plan. The Run for God 5K Challenge will come ready to help you inspire those around you. The step-by-step guide will direct you how to plan, pray, and train people both physically and spiritually. You can help them become more fit in their health and in their walk with Christ. Share your passion. Go to runforgod.com to find out how to inspire others to accomplish big things. So one thing I failed to mention about that story was that you sent me a couple of videos. Mm, you had some yes, videos of a couple of those ladies when they were very young. 
Yes. And uh, so I shared them with the bus, and uh, it was it was good. Yeah, at the time those videos were done, I guess Rebecca was, I think she said... 13. 13. She was 12, no, 13. <laughs> so it has been six, six years ago, yeah. I guess, six or seven years ago. Yeah. And... We did it. We were doing a year-end video for the triathlon team, and I just had them all get on camera and say their name and their age, and it's just kind of a cool thing to have for the year-end video. Well, the cool thing now is all these kids are graduating, they're in college, and so I'm <laughs> dropping these videos just at the whatever time I think's appropriate. And I just thought it was appropriate because two of the girls are now running for you. That's right. And uh, I thought it would be appropriate that you were armed with those videos to get the good embarrassing moment but yeah i mean kind of back to that whole topic you know i actually got a a text a couple years ago from one young lady that was on our team um and she was thanking me and that was probably that's probably the most favorite text i've ever gotten from an athlete was you know she she was one of those that you really had to push and push and push and she was going through something at the time i think she might have been Maybe it was when she was – it was high school cross-country practice, and everybody had given up during this practice, and she was able to push through. And after that, she sent me a text, and she said, thank you. She said, today I was able to get through. I had the choice because the coach was just letting people mail it in, and and I pushed through it, and that's because of what, you know, the slave driver Mitchell back then – which yeah. that's what they thought, but she was she was seeing now that there's a benefit yeah. of pushing through these hard times, and she was seeing that benefit, and that's probably one of the most fam- the most favorite texts that I've ever received from an athlete, yeah. because you catch a little glimpse into what we're doing, as hard as it may be sometimes, and as mad as they may get us sometimes, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, and you know they're spiritual things that happen sure. in, in their lives as well sure that that you know something you said or something you did or some prayer that you prayed that right. made a difference too and mm-hmm. made them think well Elliot kipchoge he's back in form he's back did you hear that yeah this I past that. weekend yeah. he he was supposed to run the hamburg marathon apparently but they decided to cancel it i guess they're they're crazy over there in uh, germany right now so they moved over to the netherlands to a, some i don't know if it was, it was an airport i think and they were on a tarmac, and they ran this uh, marathon there. And he ran a 204.30. That's pretty fast. Uh, but, and he was more or less by himself. So, um, you know, I think in the end he looked at it, and he was like, you know, he felt like he could go faster, you know, under different circumstances. And so all this talk about his early demise after the uh, London Marathon, it looks like was premature. It looks like he mm-hmm. really did have the problem that he said he had. And um, man, there we're we're gonna see some Eliud Kipchoge in the Olympic marathon, and he's gonna be right there. In the How mix. old is he now? I think he's thirty six. Hmm. I want to say. So he's not a not a young guy. I think that's right. I may be getting him mixed up with someone else, but uh, yeah, I think he's yeah he's not a young. I don't think he's real young. Now, how about like Rupp? Galen Rupp, how old is he? He's younger, isn't he? Yeah, he's a little bit younger. He's in his twenties. I want to say I want to say Rupp is thirty now. Okay, but he's probably just right at thirty. I'd say he's within two years on one side or the other. Hmm. Thirty. Um, Yeah. So, 
Talk about rep, the U.S. guys and ladies. I went and kind of, I kind of checked on them recently just to see how they're doing, the ones that are running the Olympic marathon. And, of course, Galen Rupp is the the guy. That's that's our big hope mm-hmm. for America is Galen Rupp. And um, I'll what tell is you his, what. What is his PR? 205, I think. Mm-hmm. 205 or 206. Um, but, he, you know, yeah, Galen Rupp, he's, that is one talented kid. And, you know, he's changed coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, because he was coached by Salazar, mm-hmm. Salazar's band. So he's now coached by Mike White, who's the Northern Arizona elite coach. And um, it's he, it seems to be going well for him there. Um, and he basically says, you know, there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts as far as the Olympics go. He wants to win. There's right. no – he's not conceding to Kipchoge or anybody else or any of the Kenyans. He's like, I, I, I want to win this thing. And uh, I'll tell you what, where that guy has got one heck of a wheel. So I, I, I wouldn't when, put it past has, Have they run against each other ever, Kipchoge and Rupp? I Recently or? I don't. That was was Kipchoge in the last mar- uh, last Olympic marathon? I think he was, wasn't he? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I think they have. Hmm. And then of course the the other guys, Jake Riley. Um, has dealt with some na- uh, not just some naked, nagging injuries, um, but he feels like he's going to be ready when the time comes, and, and uh, that's hopeful. He's a he's a relatively young guy, and and then you got the other side of the coin, Abdi Abdi Rahman, who's over forty. I think he's forty three or forty four by now. Um, this is his fifth Olympic marathon. Uh, that's crazy, but he missed nearly three months of training with a stress fracture, so. Not sure it's going to be really tough for a guy his age to come back and get back into that kind of fitness level. Mm-hmm. But again, he's been around so long, you just can't put it past him. On the women's side, you got Alephine Tuliamuk. If you remember, she's the one she won the U.S. Olympic trials, and then she was pre- then she got pregnant, and she's had a baby since then. And so her thoughts are, I want to do something so incredible that nobody can believe it. And for her to come out and maybe win the Olympic marathon, that would be that. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. That would be crazy. Yeah. So that's that's kind of her goal. Molly Seidel, she's had a great year of training. She's really embraced this whole idea of COVID and the idea that she's had a, this uninterrupted block of training. So we don't really know at this point. She hasn't gone out and raced much, so we don't know where she's at. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Molly Seidel surprise a lot of people at the Olympics. And then Sally Kipiego who finished third in the Olympic trials, if, if you remember, she was a former Olympic medal uh, winner when she was a Kenyan. Um, she won, a, I think it was a silver medal in the 10K for Kenya. Um, I think she's the dark horse for America. I think she's the one that really has a chance. Uh, this will be her first Olympics in a USA uniform, and um, I think she's got a chance to do really well. So hmm. we'll see. She's got the experience, that's for sure. And talking about marathons, let's let's go back to the marathon and talk about a, a trivia question here. Uh, here's the trivia question for this week. There is a guy who started 61 Boston marathons and finished 58 of them. Matter of fact, he won a couple of them. <laughs> who is he, and where is the statue of his likeness located? All right, so what, there is a guy who ran a bunch of them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know this one. It's funny because I don't hear his name these days. But I remember back in the '80s, back when, when I when I had first started running, this guy. I mean, you heard his name associated with Boston Marathon. 
like I don't know what what name is most synonymous with with the Boston Marathon. You remember Rick and Dick Hoyt mm-hmm. when they were doing the Boston Marathon every year. You know, sure. you hear you heard about them every year. Well, this guy was the same way. Yeah. So uh, you know, Dick just died. Yeah. Do you see that? Yeah. 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 So if you know the answer to that, send the message to Dean at runforgod dot com. Not through Messenger or anything else, but through Dean at runforgod dot com. Incidentally, I've had some people that message me for for running related questions, mm-hmm. um, and and that's okay. Yeah. Just know that that for uh, the trivia trivia question, the trivia question has to be through email. Right. But other questions, some people have done that through Messenger, and that's okay. I'm just not real good at even noticing. Sometimes I have a message through Messenger, right. so if it takes me long to get to you, that's probably why. Right. Um, email I get to usually quicker. All right, so every week we share a reason why running is so awesome, and I think I'm going to get This is not one of them. I am going to get some pushback <laughs> from Mitchell on this one, but it's a fact. Track meets. I love track meets. There's so many events in track meets. You've never really gotten yourself into these other tra- other events. I haven't. So you just kind of hang out and you wait for I think for, it's like watching paint dry. Yeah, but that's because you're waiting for the distance events. But there's some other events that are pretty interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, think about the whole idea of the pole vault, of taking this flexible pole and running as fast as you can, sticking this thing into a, a, a tin can, basically, <laughs> yeah. and then flinging yourself. I will over admit the that bar. takes some guts to do that. I could yeah. not. I couldn't imagine if you really look at what they're doing. They're taking a, a pole that's what sixteen feet. I don't know how long yeah. they are. It looks yeah. like about sixteen feet. Depends on the pole, but, yeah. and they're running with it out in front of them. And they have to ram it in a very specific spot on the ground, 16 foot out in front of them. And if you miss, <laughs> it's going to hurt. I mean, I, I just see myself trying that being impaled yeah. with that pole vault pole. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you, I, I just talking to a guy this past weekend who was a uh, uh, decathlete in, in college. And he was a decathlete for the University of Georgia. And he was pretty good, and uh, he obviously did the pole vault because that's yeah. part of the decathlon. And he was telling me about a time when his um, pole broke. Mm. And, you know, when a pole vault pole breaks, it doesn't just break in half. It just shatters. Yeah. And I guess that's a safety mechanism. Yeah, I would think kinda so. Like, it's kind of like tempered glass. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if it just broke in half, that could be deadly. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Yeah. And so, uh, but he said after that, he said it, it took him some time to get over that i bet i can't imagine yeah i mean he said you know it sounds like a gun going off when they break oh, i'm too. sure yeah the hammer throw have you ever seen the hammer throw you probably yeah, never I, seen the hammer yeah throw. well on tv on tv yeah. yeah oh it's even great it's fun to watch in person those those guys they get to moving so fast it's great and then the, i don't know how because they're spinning and they're spinning so fast i don't know how they let it go at the right time yeah <laughs> yeah, I would hit somebody or something, or it would be catastrophic. If if you if you hear happy birthday going on right now, for some reason Ted and some of the guys are in the next studio over, and they've sang happy birthday like four times. So I don't know what they're doing, but if you hear happy birthday going on, that's that's what it is. Yeah, well, it's all good. It's all good. So maybe it's your birthday today, and they maybe sang it for and we you. just don't know. Yeah, yeah. This is God working things out yeah. for you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the javelin, the triple – have you ever watched a triple jump? Yes. That's, that's a, another fun event, 
Uh, it's not fun to watch. It is fun to watch. No, it's not. It's great fun. Man. I just... It's what I love about cross country. It's what I love about triathlon. You go, you race, you're gone. You don't have a lot of patience. It's about like a swim meet. That's why I'm so glad that Lane doesn't actually swim for the schools because, God. Because, okay, in a track meet with Lane, let's let's use Lane as an example. Typically, he runs the two-mile, which is the first event. And then he runs the mile, which is kind of in the middle. And then he... He always wants to jump in because they're fun, the four the by four. four by four, yeah. which is the very last event. Yeah. And high schoolers, high school, and I'm not saying anything bad about the coaches because I know it's track meets are so volunteer driven yeah. to make them go smooth. So I'm not yeah. casting any blame on anybody. But high school cross country meets can last five hours. Track meets. I mean track meets, yeah. 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 Track meets can last five hours. Yeah. So you're sitting there for five hours to watch a total of 15 minutes of running. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. That's so why I, thank goodness, at least for our home track, it's a mile from my house, so I'll come and watch the two-mile. I'll go home, and I'll do my run or take a shower, yeah. and I'll come back and watch the other events. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not as enthused about track meets as you are. Well, I will say this, you know, I obviously go to a lot of college track meets. And, and they run quicker. They run much more efficiently. Right. So Although we did have one um, a few weeks ago. Southeast. Southeast. Holly and I left and went there, which is about a 20-minute drive. We watched three of Lane's events, and we're back home in less than two and a half hours. You know who runs that meet? A guy that knows how to run a track meet. The guy, that who's, the guy who was a decathlete in college whose pole snapped in half. Really? Yeah. Was it Durham? Yeah. Coach Durham? Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> That's well, true. he knows how to run a track meet. He does. For he sure. Does. But he's he's kind of like you and I. He really doesn't have much patience. Yeah, if you're not at the starting line, then he's starting without you. That's right. That's right. Most most coaches, they'll be waiting. You know how teenagers are. They're going to hem-haul. Yep. Well, if you're hem-hauling, you're, you're not running yep. with him, and I, I like that. You know, when I was in high school, there was, t- was a time when we were at a track meet that went a lot faster because it was just a dual meet. It was just uh-huh. two schools. And uh, I was standing in the bathroom looking out the window at the track and watched them start the 800 meters, which I was supposed to be in. Um, and it wasn't their fault. No, it wasn't their fault. It was your fault. fault. It was my yeah. fault. As and, it should be. And I'll tell you, after, after the discussion with my coach, I never did that again. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was very clear that I didn't ever need to do that again. Right. <laughs> Our motivational thought of the week is this. It comes from Benjamin Mays. The tragedy in life doesn't lie in not reaching your goals. The tragedy lies in having no goals to reach. Man, I love that sentiment Mm. because that's where a lot of people fail. They fail because they don't have goals. And we should all have goals. And you should have goals in every area of your life. Physical, spiritual, yeah. you family-related goals, work-related goals. You you should have goals. If you have everything. no goal, you'll hit it every time. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Yeah. All right, we're doing great, right? The 10K is is off and running. We're getting a lot of comments, a lot of a lot of good, positive things happening there. Um, you guys still that Facebook page is incredible. Supporting one another, watching you edify each other is just wild, awesome to watch. So. Just keep glorifying God in your running and everything else that you do. And may God bless every step of every run. Go out there and shine your light. Good job, Dean.
For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.